When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Costa Show, presented by The Big Lead. My guest today is Sean Casey, one of my all-time favorite baseball players from the way he conducted himself on the field holds a special part in my heart too, for being the only Detroit Tiger who could hit the ball and catch the ball in the 2006 (laughs) World Series. He's the host of the Mayor's Office, available where you get your podcast. Sean, thanks for joining me. Oh man, thanks for having me. I appreciate that, man. That was, uh, those bring back some great memories and some bad memories too in Detroit, but they were were mostly wonderful, mostly wonderful. Yeah, I I was always curious what PFP looked like the following spring training. Ah. Oh my God, man. I mean, I think what's craziest, what's crazy is when you're done with your career, you always look back and like, man, I look, and we all, I think all of us look back at that world series, you know, Verlander's still playing too. You know, all of us look back and go, man, like we were, we just feel like we were so much better than the Cardinals. And that just, we just could not, you know, we had eight errors in five games and, you know, I think our pitchers had five of those and it was just, we could not throw the bases. We couldn't do the basics ended up costing us the World Series. Crazy. So kind of where I want to start this morning is your role at MLB Network allows you the opportunity to work with Pedro Martinez. And one of the things that I've noticed about him is he's not just one of the greatest pitchers of all time. He's one of the greatest baseball minds I've ever encountered. What's it like to sit next to him and hear him drop these nuggets of things that you never thought about that 99.9% of pitchers would never consider that he just presents matter of factly. You know, it's, it's funny you say that Kyle, cause I, I feel the same way. Like I'm on set sometimes and he'll Pedro start talking. I'm like, I've never heard a pitcher talk like that in my life. Like I've never heard, you know, the, the way Pedro looks, looked at the game or looked at a hitter you know, I can, you can see now why he used to dominate, you know, obviously he had unbelievable stuff, but just if you go back and look at the way he attacked hitters, I think some, it was a little different than, than any pitcher that, you know, than, than we had seen. And uh, um, I just love it. I love working at the network with them because it really gives me an opportunity because I'm a baseball fan like you, man, like I'm on the network and stuff and I played in the big leagues, but I've always been a big fan and, you know, I'm so grateful for those opportunities. So, when I get to sit next to a guy like Pedro Martinez and hear him break down, you know, how he used to throw his change up or how he would attack a guy in to open up the plate away and just, but, but at a different level, he'd watch guys on Devin one night, he was talking about watching guys on deck 
man, I'd watch him on deck and I'd see what their swing looked like. Or, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd throw him a certain pitch to see if I can get him out front to take that swing so I could execute on it. It was just, it's just next level. It's just so fun to like be a part of. Yeah, he, I get the opportunity to spend about a half an hour in an editing bay out there in Secaucus with him. And we were breaking down some stuff and he was telling me what he did and the little things that he noticed. He said he would go out when he was playing with the Red Sox and <laughs> see which batters were really enjoying hitting the ball over the green monster. And then he would use that against them in games, trying to entice them uh, to pull the ball and hit grounders to shortstop. So I guess it kind of presents the question, if he's going through all that complex math, all those equations, he's got these deeply held theories and philosophies about pitching. How did that compare with what you were doing in the batter's box? You know what? I was, I was like, if he was Einstein, then I was like an ant. You know what I mean? Cause like, I, I, like as a hitter to hit a guy like Einstein, like I had to be, I had to try and simplify it to the umpteenth degree. Like I had to hit a guy like Pedro. I had to really slow myself down, slow my vision down you know, take that deep breath so that I, so that we could have the competition of when that ball shows up out over the plate, I got to be ready to hit it. Cause you know, it's funny as a hitter. I remember when I first came in the league and I, I faced Randy Johnson and Greg Maddox and I faced them like back-to-back days. Um, you know, I think we were playing the Braves. Then we played the Diamondbacks in a series. And I remember like thinking, Oh, there's Greg Maddox. And I went over for that game. Then I remember facing Randy Johnson being a little intimidated over four. And I remember thinking to myself, if I keep, if I keep this attitude up, like I'm going to be out of here. Like, you know, you, you can't just, you're facing, you're facing domination every night. Like you better find a way mentally to get ready as a hitter. So what I started to do was I said to myself, okay, I no longer look at that guy as this great player. He's a pitching machine to me. As soon as he releases the ball, the ball's not in Randy Johnson's hand anymore. It's not in Greg Maddox's hand. I just have to be great at the plate at great visually at seeing the ball exactly where I need to see it to get my arms extended where I can deliver a blow. And it helped me so much because it simplified my approach. It took away the, Oh man, who are we facing today? And it made it say, okay, when's that ball coming into my zone where I can hammer it. And obviously when you're facing a guy like Pedro Martinez and Randy Johnson, Greg Mash, you may never get that one ball in those four at bats, but that doesn't matter. I got to be great at me versus me as opposed to me versus them. And I think you speaking like that is an example of why the shows at the network work so well. In this era of baseball, too many people, I think, have distilled it down to a spreadsheet or numbers on paper. And while that's an unbelievably important part of the game, especially in team building, there's this whole other element. You know, this game is played by people. And I think that you have a really good understanding of number one, with all your years in the league, the different personalities that come in, but also all the unseen mental stuff that you guys are working with that may not even be related to the field that you're taking out there. So is it fun to reveal these stories or what do you think the audience gets out of the perspective of the former player? Because it's kind of something that's in short supply in media today. Well, I think the biggest thing is that, like, if you went to any big leaguer right now with, you know, the way, you know, on the network, the way we talk about analytics, the way, you know, the numbers, the BABIPs, the wars, the barrels, all these freaking numbers nowadays, these, oh, look at this. And he's there. If you went into a clubhouse and those guys that are crossing the white line to compete, that is not what they're thinking about. It's just too fast. 
it's too electric. It's everything. The, the athletes are too good. Like it's tough enough. Like I just said about a hitter. I guarantee if I asked Joey Votto or a JD Martinez or a Miguel Cabrera, Hey, what I, matter of fact, I asked Miguel Cabrera a couple of weeks ago when he hit his 500 home run, I said, Mickey, I said, for me, watching you hit your 500 home run was a work of art as a hitter. Cause I know that your approach, when I talked to you at an all-star game one time, you said, I, I look to go to right center and react in any great hit, most great hitters. That is a lot of their approach. Look to go to look to go the other way in the gap, react in. And the reason is, and, and McGiggy and Miggy said, he goes, you know what? Casey goes, that's how I try to live my career as a small guy. He's like, cause if I had the small guy approach, I knew I, it would simplify things so I could, I could use the whole field. And I really believe if, you know, if you get in, that's what I love about the network and, and talking as a hitter or, or, or a fielder or listening to some of the pitchers talk, you know, it's more simple, you know, the simplification, I got to be great at being simple and going one pitch at a time. That's the only way I can beat you. So I think it's all fun and games with all these numbers, and everything, like that, everything like that. But when guys cross the white lines, it's trying to be as simple and slow as I can. You're widely regarded as one of the most talkative players who's ever suited up. Obviously, the name of your podcast, The Mayor's Office, comes from being Mr. Congeniality, running for office over there at first base. I want to ask you a question. I really would appreciate some honesty here. Were there ever times where you were over there? Maybe the game was lopsided. Maybe it wasn't. You were hoping for the batter to get to first base because he had something teed up that you wanted to talk to him about. Oh my God. Yes. Many a time I did that. That happened. You know, the one, the one time I really remember was my rookie year. I was probably three weeks in, you know, I had been up and down. I got injured when I first came up. I went down and I came back. So that three weeks coming back, we were right in the middle of the home run race between Sosa McGuire. And obviously I was with the Reds. So we were in the division of the Cardinals and the Cubs. So like, it felt like every night we were either playing Sosa or McGuire and freaking 60,000 people, you know, it's, it's mania in, in, in baseball. And, and I, you know, at that time, Kyle felt like really like a fan, like, Holy crap. When are they going to send me down? Like I, I got to get as many conversations in as I can. So I remember McGuire comes to St. Louis or, or comes to, Cincinnati and I just was so excited to get a conversation with him. I was like man if I could just talk to him and tell him that he's having a great summer like <laughs> you know that's what my my mind was like I just want to talk to Mark McGuire and tell him man this has really been a fun summer for everybody blah blah so he gets on first at bat we, we intentionally walk him Jack McKean walks him I walk over and I'm you know thinking about saying hi to him and Jack McKean's like hey play behind him case I'm like oh man I don't want to play behind him I want to talk to this guy you know what I mean you gotta be kidding so so, you know, and I even looked over, hey, Mark, how you doing? He's like, hey, how you doing, Sean? And I'm like, yes, my God, this guy knows my name. It's so great. So, so the next at bat, we walked him again. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not even going to look in the dugout. I'm just going to freaking sprint the first base so I can get a quick conversation with Mark McGuire. So that's what I did. I went over, hey, man, you know, it's really been a fun summer, you know. And he's like, oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. I was like, man, this is really cool, you know. And his, his son was the bat boy at the time for the card. I was like, is that pretty cool? Your son's the bat boy. He's like, yeah, it's been a really fun summer sharing things with him, you know? So we're in this conversation, Kyle. And, and next thing I know, like the pitcher hasn't pitched, but I'm not really paying attention to anything but this conversation with McGuire. 
And I remember McGuire going, hey, I think the dugout's trying to get your attention. I turned to the dugout and they're like, you idiot, play behind them. You know, they're all, they, 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 they've been yelling at me for like five minutes, but I'm so involved in this conversation with McGuire. I was so excited to have it. So I'm like, all right, take it easy, take it easy. You know, I end up playing behind them and, and up, end up luckily having many more conversations with Mark McGuire. But that's one of those conversations that I remember thinking, man, I just need McGuire to get to first base because I got to have a conversation with him. You know, at its core, it's a reflection of baseball being a social game. And I think people forget that from time to time when you have kind of a warrior mentality, when you go out in the field, there is time to chat. It's one of the part of the, it's, yeah. it's a part of the game that I greatly appreciate when you're on second base saying what's up to the shortstop or, you know, tapping the catcher's shin guards, you know, it is this social event. Yes. The stakes could not be higher when you're playing major league baseball, but when you deny yourself that, and it seems like to me, if you were someone who would have clammed up and been, I'm only going to, I'm not going to discuss anything with the enemy that wouldn't have been true to your personality. And I wonder if you would have played worse because of it. Cause you were trying to be someone that you weren't. Oh, I tell you what, I, I can't imagine like not playing first base and not having that chance to talk to guys. That's just, yeah, that was, that it was such my personality, even the umpires, you know, like, you know, thinking back to like the conversation I had with John Hirschbeck and Mark Hirschbeck and, you know, and just so many different guys, you know, you go up and down, uh, you know, you get to know the umpires so well too, that first base umpire that you're with the whole game and that you get to know throughout the year, you know? So I, I, I think, I think, you know, it, it's not war, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it, 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 you're playing a game still. And you, it, just cause I talked to you at first piece base, doesn't mean when I'm in the batter's box, I don't want to, I don't want to absolutely dominate. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that's a good thing to keep in the human element of the game of baseball. There's so many days, there's so many games, 162 games. I think if I didn't have those conversations, I would have gone freaking absolutely nuts. I don't know if you remember this and this is a wild diversion, but several years ago I went out to a field outside MLB network. And you and I were the only people in the batter's box to face Jenny Finch. Je Jenny Finch. I remember, dude, I thought I did. I knew that we have crossed paths. Yes. And you yes. remember that because I took a mighty hack at swing one and just missed it. And I think about it to this day because it was a good swing. She threw a change up on pitch two. I like tumbled down the third baseline strike three. I was ready to swing. And I think that riser for three, I remember her throwing you one low and away, but it was just, an incredible experience to be out there with you and her and seeing the way that that ball came in so much different than a baseball. And that goes back to, I believe she visited in maybe 2001 or, or way back when, when you were with the Reds. And I think the only person to make contact, was it Denny Graves? No, it was me. Oh, you did? I, I grounded out. It was, I was the only person to make contact. Matter of fact, she, you know, she wrote it in her book about, you know, she always wanted to, you know, get, get after me again, but yeah, it was like, we were in we were in Arizona, and I was facing Jenny Finch, and she had faced everybody, Pujols and Larry Walker and all these guys. No one had touched her, and she threw me a pitch, and I ground. I ended up grounding out. I hit it hard on the ground, but I remember she was really angry that I even put the ball in play. It was some of the nastiest stuff I've ever seen. Like, tip my cap to any girls' fast pitch softball at how close those girls are and how hard that ball's coming in, and they can make it rise from those angles with the changeup and stuff, and Facing Jenny Finch, especially that second time when, when we did it together, you know, obviously I was not in the same shape I was when I was playing and, you know, the body didn't feel the same. So I was like, I got no shot. The only shot I had was when I faced her the first time when I was 
in shape and playing and, and in a good place. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say anything negative, but when you stepped in the box, I might have picked up on that. I don't know if this <laughs> you were very nice. You let me use your batting gloves. Neither of us were able to notch a hit, but it was really a fun uh, experience. So I thank you for that. That was, that was such a good time. Tell me about the idea for this podcast and what you've enjoyed doing it. I know you've had some great yeah. conversations talking about stuff that happened on the field, but also off of it. I, it's come out that you were a terrible tipper for several years. <laughs> yeah, right. Info. Uh, give, give the listeners a, a taste of kind of what conversations you've had and, and they're freewheeling and they're fun. And, yeah. you're, you know, you are definitely value added. Has it been fun to kind of like round into form as a podcaster, learning what, how to ask good questions and bring it to places where it's enjoyable? Wow, Kyle, that's such a great question because, you know, I've been wanting to do this podcast for a long time and, and uh, for years. And then, you know, um, you know, I end up pulling the trigger because of, uh, you know, Rich Chichimino, who's was our producer at MLB Network, but he's a really good friend of mine. You know, I said, hey, would you want to do this podcast? And we were doing it on nofilter.net, you know, and 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 uh, man, it's 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 really been something I've really, really enjoyed. I've, I've enjoyed catching up with old teammates. I think Adam Dunn was one of my first guys that I got a chance to talk to got a chance to have a, you know, long conversation with Johnny bench, which was unbelievable, you know, to pick his brain, you know, the list of guys goes on that we've had, you know, we had turtle Jerry Ferrara on, which was really cool to kind of get into that life. And some of the things he did, you know, Michael Malley has a new show called heels on stars that, you know, we had him on and he's done some cool stuff. Um, you know, Dante Bichette, Todd Walker. Um, uh, we just did cliff Floyd. We got Demetri young coming up. Jim Leland's in the hopper. Um, so, you know, it's been really cool for me because like, like, you know, Kyle, like, you know, when you're doing a podcast, like, you know, you got to do your homework. You, you, what questions do you ask? You really want to listen. And one thing I've learned with the podcast is really to listen, really listen and then go off, go off maybe something that they said. So, you know, it's really been fun. You know, it's been uh, trying to get the mic right, trying to, you know, like the stuff we're talking about, trying to get the mic right, trying to get the, trying to get the camera right trying to get the right camera, you know, you know I mean? trying to get the background good. So it's just been, uh, it's been really, really fun. It's really, really rejuvenated my love for like uh, a good interview or a good guest um, asking questions that I used to like to be asked when I played. Um, it's just been really, really fun. And, and uh, you know, we're really having a good time doing the mayor's office podcast. Did you have to explain to Jim Leland what a podcast was? <laughs> yes. Matter of fact, I called him. I called him the other day. I was like, "Hey, Skip, I'd love for you to be on my podcast." He's like, ah, what do you mean? And I'm like, "Well, you gotta come over my." And this is gonna be in person, so I'm like, "Why don't you come over to my house? You know, we'll sit down and we'll just talk baseball for like an hour and see." You know, and he's like, "All right, I'll, let's do it." So I, I got him hooked. I basically just got to get him to my house. That's the only thing I needed because I was like, if I have to have Jim Leland like link on to Zoom or like NoFilter.net, this interview ain't ever happening. <laughs> The mental image of Leland at home on his home computer unit trying to figure it out is amazing. What does it look like? What is it? What does the hang with Leland look like? Now, now I'm intrigued. What's it, what's uh, he like outside the dugout? What? Oh what my gosh! Are you kidding me? Like probably the funniest. I don't know if he'll let open up when the cameras come on, but when the cameras are off, he is probably the funniest guy I know. Like has he's probably told me in the last 15 years. He's probably told me, you know. 
400 jokes and he's never told me the same joke. I'm like, where does you, where do you get your jokes? Like, and they're all funny, you know, they're all funny too. So it's like so funny. Like, you know, I don't know where he gets his jokes from, but they're all funny. But the stories in that, in Jim Leland's brain, just about all the way back when he managed in the tiger system, you know, as a player and then as a manager and then his relationship with La Russa and then, you know, his time in Pittsburgh and Florida and Colorado and Detroit. I mean, and the, the names and the people that he knows and the championship. I mean, he, you know, he managed Bonds. He managed Walker. He managed Cabrera. He, I mean, the, the, the list goes on of like some of the greatest players that ever played the game. You know, Leland was right there with him. So just one of the greatest personalities ever. And if he doesn't get into Cooperstown, it's a freaking Cooperstown. It's going to be Cooperstown light if Jim Leland is not in there. What did you look for in a manager like that? Because he was notoriously gruff. He was notoriously hard nosed, but I think that was kind of like his public perception. We just saw the cleats in the dugout and in kind of the stoic way he conducted himself in the games. Well, how, what did he do and what does a good manager do to build that relationship when they're not managing the game innings one through nine? Well, I think the, the biggest thing about Leland is that he was a, he was the best manager of people. You know what I mean? The personalities, there's so many personalities, you know, in the, um, there's so many personalities in that clubhouse from guys from Venezuela and Dominican and Japan. Now Korea, America, I mean, it, I, you know, black guys, white guys, uh, you know, it's just it, it, the, the, the diversity in the, in the, in those, in the clubhouse. I think what makes a great manager is that he's able to manage people like Jim Leland was friends with everyone in that clubhouse, like had a relationship with everyone in that clubhouse. And what was, what's crazy is that, but you also were a little scared of him. So, you, you know, he had your respect, but you, you know, you knew not to cross the line with them either. So, and, and one thing about Jim Leland too, like he expected, you know, you to do your job. He expected you every day to show up, you know, on time and be ready to go. And if you weren't, if you, one thing I respected about him is if you didn't do the job, he would put someone there that could do it, you know? And sometimes he hurts some feelings with that, but like, I just love that he had the, you know, the, 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 the cojones enough to, you know what I mean? To, to tell guys, hey, man, you're not getting it done. You're, you're Pudge Rodriguez. Take a seat, you know, until you figure it out. Yeah, he, he was fearless. I, the move of batting Pudge leadoff during that year was something that I don't think a lot of managers would have done. But he had the capital built up that, hey, this is going to work. And it, it yielded success. I remember Polanco went down with an injury late in that year and there needed to be another bat at the top of the lineup. And it was just things like that. Who would think to hit Pudge first? Leland would, because... I got to imagine he and he and Rodriguez went back so far that it was like, Hey, can you do this? And I'm sure Pudge was up for it. And a couple of times Pudge played second. It was unbelievable. Like a couple of times he needed a situation where, you know, he had a double switch or, you know, and Pudge played second base. And I'm like, wow, I, I only with Jim Leland, would you see a guy like Pudge Rodriguez playing second base and batting leadoff? Cause you know, you just respected him so much. You mentioned earlier that you're asking questions on the mayor's office that you liked getting when you were a player. What type of questions did you enjoy? Like one of the questions that I love now asking is like, who'd you own and who owned you? You know, and when you ask that to guys, man, you get the, 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 the eyes come over, you know what I mean? They, people get excited about talking about, Oh man, this guy used to own me. And you know, it's funny. I, who was, uh, who was it the other night, the other day, uh, 
Oh, I'll ask Dimitri Young. Ask Dimitri Young who owned you. It's funny. Sometimes it's not the Randy Johnsons and the and the and the Greg Maddoxes and that Roy Halladay's. You know, I know for me it was Steve Klein. Like Steve Klein used to like lefty out of the pen for the Cardinals. You know, Kleiner owned me. It was so frustrating. Like nothing overpowering. 89, 92, sinker slider, sinker slider. So he like covered covered the inside with the with the sinker, and you could cover the outside with the with the slider. And it was the only time in my life I started to guess. Like I wasn't a guesser. I always hunted the hunt the fastball and worked off it. But when Steve Klein would come in, I'm like, oh my god. Let me step in the bucket here, try and get the sinker. Then he throw the slider. Okay, let me let me let me let me wait out over the plate. I'll try and take that slider to left. It was just so frustrating. And like Demetri Young was like David Risky. David Risky, you know, who was, you know, closer or you know, late in guy um, for the for the Indians would come in and he said he just would own Dimitri. Like Dimitri could not get a hit off David Risky. And it was just, you know, that's one of the questions I, I love uh, I love asking guys. You know, I was thinking this year, you know, speaking of another great lefty Reds hitter, Joey Votto has kind of had a year where he changed his approach. I was curious, <laughs> you know, he, he was an on-base guy, right? The famous thing about never popping up to first base, always kind of had that power. Do you see some similarities between the approach that you had and the one that Votto had? Because it, in my mind, it seemed like you always could have gone for 30 homers had you yeah. wanted to, but it wasn't really your mindset up there. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. A lot of similarities. It's funny to see Joey, like start to say, you know what? I'm taking rips. You know what I mean? Like I wish I could have, I, I think this day and age, the way the game is played, I think that I could have got to that approach easier. But when I was playing, I just had like my, my mentality was, you know, gap to gap. I wanted to hit 330. Um, you know, I want to hit over 300 every year, drive in runs, um, but do damage. Like I wanted to do damage too. You know what I mean? I, you know, um, and watching Joey Votto, man, like just change his approach from, you know, the last couple of years being choked up and squatted down and kind of being defensive to being standing straight up down on the knob, you know, ready to, ready to juice some balls. I just love it, man. It, it, it's fun to watch. It's been fun to watch the evolution of Joey you know, um, of, of just his personality, how it's changed over the years. And I think, you know, I think he's on his way to Cooperstown. And it's just really, really cool for Cincinnati Reds fans um, to have him played there the whole career. And just cool for baseball fans to look at Joey Votto and go, this is impressive, man. It's impressive to be able to reinvent yourself the way he's doing it right now at the age, I believe he's 36, you know, and uh, what he's doing. So it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun it takes kind of a secondary understanding of baseball to appreciate what he's doing fully because he just got the 2000 hits and you realize how far that is from 3000 as well. He's been on base his entire life. Uh, so he's been arguably more valuable. So it's like, he's a very rewarding watch for someone who understands what he's try what he's trying to do. What do you like about the way the game has evolved and what's one thing you wish that it hadn't gone that way? You know, I, I, I do like the, I do like the, um, I, I like that they call some of these young guys up quicker because, you know, when you see Acuna and Tatis and Soto and Guerrero and Trout, you know, you know, I feel like they're developing guys in the big leagues now more, more, more than they ever have. You know, they're not letting guys go two, three, four years in the minors, then call them up. You know, if you're, if you're ready to make an impact now and, 
and you're a star player at the age of 19, come on up. You know what I mean? So I've enjoyed the, the, the amount of good young talent in the game. I think that the way they develop them is different now than when I, when I came up in the big leagues. Um, and I guess the one thing I don't love a little bit is the mentality of hitters. I just think it's so much more acceptable to just punch out and take three wild swings and, you know, to hit 200 and still be in the big leagues, like to hit 190, you know, hey, this guy's got a good OPS, blah, 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 blah. My guy's hitting a buck 90. I don't care what you, I don't know what number you could throw at me to say this guy's hitting 190. And then people say, oh, batting average doesn't matter. I, I totally disagree with that because go look at every team that wins it every year. Go look at the lineups. They got a lot of guys hitting with high average. If you hit for high average, that means you hit, to me, that means you hit good pitching. You hit good pitching late. You hit the guys that you're going to face in the postseason that are these dominant bullpens. Like, okay, get me the 300 hitters. Get me in the 300 hitters in the arsenal, and we're going to hit those teams. Get me the 220 hitters, 230 hitters with big home runs, and hey, look at this guy's got a good OPS plus. Oh, yeah? They don't win in the postseason, bro. They're freaking out. They don't hit good pitching. No, I totally agree. And it's been cool to see teams who kind of, you know, put the ball in play. The 15 Royals come to mind. They won, yes. the, they won the series playing a very unique brand of baseball, maximizing their speed in the outfield, that large uh, cavernous yard they play in. Yes. Um, the Astros. But I think – one of the reasons why there's so many 190 hitters, it's not just the approach of the players, it's what's valuable financially. So if teams are going to reward guys for having the highest slugging percentage or only hitting the ball out of the ballpark, if that's the style of ball they want to play, it puts players in a tough situation to say, no, I am going to choke up and add 15 points to my batting average as opposed to hitting six more home runs. So it is kind of one of those things. Like I know you're not saying, oh, it's the player's fault or whatever. I I look at it almost from a sympathetic way for players of, yes, I can do the little things. I can do a little Jody Reed poke, poke to right field, but that might not make, get me the big deal with this team or the current team. You're right. It's, you know, guys are getting paid for that nowadays and that you can't fault the players um, for, you know, for having that, that approach. But I do think teams are starting to rethink just the guys that punch out 200 times a year. You know what I mean? I think they're starting to rethink like, you know, you got to have good hitters up and down your lineup. I mean, even look at the, uh, you know, look at look at teams like the Giants and look at teams like the, uh, the the Dodgers. You know, I mean, they're still they got some really good hitters in those lineups. So I caught your appearance on Lebitard a while back, and it was fantastic. And I'm a big fan of those guys, and you seem to really enjoy it. So I was curious if you could just give me maybe not a top five list, but give me some of the funniest players you ever played with. So, oh my God. Well, Pete Harnish, I think is the funniest I ever played with. I mean, gosh, dang. I mean, just talk about keeping things light. You know, he was, he was so great. Uh, Ryan Dempster, Ryan Dempster was hilarious. You know, Dempy was always keeping things light and keeping things fun. You know, that was great. Um, let me see. Uh, Big Poppy was fun, man. Big Poppy and Pedroia, Big Poppy and Pedroia, you know, I don't know if Pedroia was looking to be funny. He was just so like, Hey, dude, you know, you know, he's just like so busting chops all the time, you know, that, you know, he, he was just a lot of a lot of fun to be around, you know, so I, I loved him. Um, God, who else? There was there's there's a there's a lot of good oh, David Weathers, Stormy Weathers, Stormy Weathers was so funny, such a funny dude, you know, always playing pranks on guys. Um, 
Denny Nagel was hilarious. Oh my God. Nagel was, Nagel was such a funny guy, man. So funny. And, uh, you know, you need those guys to keep it loose in the clubhouse. So I always appreciated those, those kind of guys in the clubhouse. So those are, those are probably six of the funniest. It seems like the hardest thing for, for a ball player when they retire is transitioning out of giving everybody a baseball nickname. Did you find that difficult? You calling people like at the deli, Schwani, Cuddy? <laughs> What's that? What, what was that transition like? Well, when you're with so many guys, it's so easy to give those nicknames. You know what I mean? But like, I think when you're done playing, you know, you're not around as many guys. And no, most people aren't as accepting of uh, nicknames as like, you know, the dudes in the clubhouse are. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's the, the nickname thing um, definitely dies a little bit when you're done playing, which is kind of a bummer because that's the fun part about one of the biggest, funnest part about playing is having nicknames for everybody. So Sean Casey hosts the Mayor's Office podcast. You've kind of discovered the cheat code and, you know, we'll say the sentence here. We'll give away the secret sauces. When you have a podcast, you can ask people that you want to talk to to come on. And that's a great way to keep up and keep, uh, keep in contact with them. Right. Oh, what I love about one of the things I do love about the podcast is that I get to reach out to guys that I haven't talked to in a long time and like and have a and have a chance to sit down with them, you know, for an hour or so and really catch up. Like I just sat down with Danny Grimes a couple of weeks ago. We had an unbelievable conversation. We talked for almost two hours. I felt like we could talk for another four. You know what I mean? But like I hadn't sat down with gravy in years, you know, so it's just. The podcast has really allowed me to start reaching out to some of my buddies I haven't talked to and like really catch up with them, which has been awesome. Gravy. Yeah, you're still doing it. You're still doing it just to keep the nicknames alive. Well, you know, what's great. We know what's great about this. His nickname was the baby faced assassin, right? Well, I didn't know where he got that nickname from. And in the mayor's office show that we talked to the other day, I said, hey, where'd that nickname come from? He's like, Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders played with us in 2001. And he gave Danny Graves that nickname. He's like, man, he looks, he's like, look at Gravy. He's like the baby-faced assassin over there. And that's where he got that nickname was from Prime when Prime played with us in 2001. It was so cool to hear that from Danny. What's your favorite playing with Deion Sanders memory? Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Like, Prime's one of my favorite teammates of all time. Like, just the quietest dude you ever want to meet. It's so funny. You would not think that. When the lights come on, he's Prime. When, he, when the lights are off, he's Dion. He's real quiet, real into his scriptures, very faith-filled, strong faith man, which I really admired. And I thought that one of the greatest things was he was always like, I'm back because, because you know, God wants me to be back in the big leagues and play in the big leagues. And I, and I was just like, wow, what, what a faith this guy has. And when he first came back, he homered. And I remember when he came in the dugout, he, and I, I just had that feeling like, man, this guy was right. Like this his connection with, with God or the spirit or whatever, like was so real because he was doing everything he said he was back to do. He was back to play. He was back to electrify. He was back to impact. He was back to, to be an impact to the team, to the city. Um, and, and he did everything he said he was going to do. When he homered that one game came in the dugout, I just was like, I had the chills all over my body. Like, cause I knew like prime was back for a reason. It was just really cool. Yeah, he, he had a flair for the dramatic, great performer, great entertainer, crossing sports. When he played for you, did you suddenly have a clubhouse full of guys who wanted to give their 
football playing bona fides and talk about how they could be in the NFL too? Did, did that suddenly afflict the team where everybody thought that they could make it in the in the NFL? Well, you know, I think I think you know Adam Dunn was the one guy. You know, he was like, uh, you know, played played backup quarterback at Texas. Then they wanted to make him a tight end. That's how he ended up coming to baseball full time. Was like, I'm not going to be a tight end. So I think like he was always, you know. I think there was definitely something, you know, with, with, with Dunner always feeling like I could have played pro football, you know, no doubt about it, you know, and, uh, you know, we also had Griffey had just come over too. So you had Deion Sanders and Craig King Griffey Jr. Who was at the height of his popularity in baseball, you know, in the same clubhouse. So it was like some big time star power, but I think when you go back and look at Dion's body of work as a football player, you know, he's one of the greatest of all time. I saved the most explosive question for last there has been a growing sentiment in the online community um, that Skyline Chili is gross, that it's overrated. I just want to give you the opportunity to either defend it or grab a headline here and say that you never liked it to begin with. Well, you know what? It is not overrated, first off. If you think it's overrated, you don't. You, you, you have to be from Cincinnati or be part of Cincinnati to really appreciate Skyline. Cause it can be an acquired taste. You know, you got to go with the five way. So you get the, you know, you get the pasta, you get the right, you get the beans, the onions and the chili. And then you get like a pound and a half of cheddar cheese on top. Right. Have you ever, have you ever had skyline? I actually haven't. I, I've oh never my had gosh. It. Okay. So, so this is what you got to do. So you got to get the f- large five way with a side of chili. Cause sometimes the chili gets soaked up with the pasta and you're like, I need more chili. So boom, I put the, I get a side side of chili with a large five way and two conies with a little bit of mustard on there. I mean, it's a it's a heartburn central. Like you have to like you have to like know exactly where the bathroom is within five minutes because you never know what's gonna happen. But it's some of the greatest food. It's one of the I mean, I'm craving it right now. I'm salivating thinking about a five way side of chili, two conies right now. And I might drive to Cincinnati right now after this after this uh, interview just to uh, get some. What a selling point that the bathroom needs to be close for this delicious delicacy. I wrote this all down. I'm excited to take my first foray into this. I'm going to make sure that Skip gives me an off day uh, the following day so I can recover and recuperate from whatever it does to my system. But thank you so much for joining me. Good luck on the podcast. It's really cool to hear some ball players chopping it up. There's some nuggets in there if you grew up. You're about my, my age, 35 to 40. A lot of players that you remember telling stories from the road and the dugout and the bullpen. And it's really just a good hang. So yeah. keep it up and thanks for coming on. All right, Kyle. Hey, man, thanks a lot for having me on, brother. And uh, appreciate you listening to the podcast and look forward to uh, seeing you down the road, brother. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.